Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples with the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Uh, good, good. A cold day at Edmonton. I went uh, skating at Victoria Oval today, Bruce, and uh, man, my, I could oh, yeah. not get my feet to warm up, no matter how hard I tried to skate. But mm-hmm. uh, chilly out there. But... The Oilers heated it up, Bruce. They scored eight goals uh, in an 8-5 to five victory over the Ottawa Senators. They are now one game below the magic mark of real 500 in the NHL. And um, I don't know if getting to real 500 would give them enough points to have a playoff spot, but um, it'll be huge, Bruce, if they can get back there after a pretty iffy start to the year in a lot of ways. Um, big win, and they've... They just got to keep it up. What was your take on the game? Well, I kind of saw what I expected to see. You may have remember me kind of emoting over this game earlier in the week as to how it was going to be tough for the artists to come back on uh, without a, a day off between games after over two weeks of the game, day off after every game, and also how you know it would be a big effort on Saturday against Toronto it might be easy to take the Senators lightly and that I thought they needed to score a bunch to sort of outscore their mistakes and basically that's kind of how it worked out thankfully the goals started coming early and often and the Oilers devastating power play took care of business with uh, four consecutive goals on their first four chances and uh, they were you know they were running with the lead all night <clears throat> How they protected that lead kind of left me cold at times, uh, but I was expecting sloppiness, and I got sloppiness, so I guess. <laughs> Reed Wilkins um, tweeted out, uh, Reed Wilkins of Ched tweeted mm-hmm. out, Bruce, that the Oilers, in their last 14 games against Ottawa and Edmonton, were 12-2. and two. Yeah. 12 losses and, yeah. and two wins. So six, um, six straight wins by Ottawa. It's the first time it hasn't been beat Ottawa since like 2013 or something. Shocking stat, but, but it was almost, in some ways, I think it was good to go with Stuart Skinner in that uh, because of that. Because you, you got to, sh- it's almost like you had to shake this team up a little bit. Like this is a big game. This is a, this is a must win game. Although they might have realized that anyway, given their place in the standings. But uh, having Skinner in that, I think, might have increased their urgency uh, a little bit in the game. So, Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. Because it was a win, we'll go with uh, two good things each. You, you, I think you uh, mentioned your first good thing already, but but uh, tell me a little bit more about the power play. What did you oh, like? Yeah. <laughs> what wasn't yeah. there like? <laughs> I that guess. is my good thing. I, I forgot about that. But, yes, of course it was my good thing. <laughs> four out of four. And, they, you know, they were just... They were just deadly. Ottawa just couldn't handle the Oilers' uh, uh, supreme first unit at all. Either the 1A or the 1B unit. I uh, was happy to see Alex Chason back in the lineup and back on the power play. And his version of the power play involved two goals that the goalie couldn't see because he, all he could see was big 39 on Alex Chason's back right in front of him. And then the James Neal version of the power play scored a goal by James Neal going to the edge of the crease and cleaning Sweet. up the, the mess. And that was, you know, that was a nice goal as well. So uh, you look at the stats and you'll see James Neal with, uh, well, that goal plus another one at regulation and Alex Chason with nothing. Uh, but both were effective 
uh, on the slightly different versions of the power play. And then, of course, outside of them, the uh, the big three, big four, really, with uh, Tyson very heavily involved tonight, we're, uh, we're making the puck sing and dance and, uh, and uh, uh, emphasizing it with a goal horn at the end of the tune, you know, like it was... <laughs> It was uh, pretty pretty awesome to watch how uh, how they went to work and even on the, those power, a couple of them worked right right away and a couple didn't but you know they got a great chance like one where Barry rang one off the post and uh, the Oilers were able to recover the rebound work it around for another great chance and this time I think that was the one Nuge buried into the top corner over the goalie's shoulder and, and you know they were uh, they were executing and obviously four four in a row is an exceptional night's work no matter who you're playing against. McDavid had eight grade A major contributions to grade A chances on the power play was eight, which is a really, that's a hell of a game. Uh, and how Jason, many at even strength, by the way? Just, one. Uh, yeah, 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 his line so, was... Yeah, that line's not... It's, I'm not loving that line. Anyway, um, Chase on had... On two goals, we we uh, so far you know we've credited Chase on with screening the goalie on two of the goals mm-hmm. on Barry's goal yep. and on uh, Nuge's goal I believe, yep. and um, Neil scored. So these were elements of the power play that weren't working previously. Yep. Chase on and Neil had not been effective early in the year, and ne- neither had Tyson Barry. We hadn't even right. seen that great shot uh, very much, and he unleashed it today. And man, that was yep. about time and great to see. So that was a, a huge relief to me to see Tyson Berry actually get it done on the power play. But, um, yeah, so good for him. Bruce, my good thing, uh, first good thing, will be the play of um, two players who are kind of, this was La- William Loggison's second game uh, this year for the Oilers and Gaetan Haas's first. And regular listeners of this podcast will will know that I have made numerous impatient References to hoping that Gaetan Haas will get back in the lineup. We've yep. been seeing him play in Europe. We saw him play last year. And the, and frankly, the more I've seen of Kyle Turris, the, the more that impatience grew. But what Gaetan Haas has to offer as a hockey player is speed and smarts. He is a very fast hockey player. In terms of the Oilers forwards, there's not many that are. There's McDavid, who's faster than him. But other, after, it's a very small list after that. And he's he's... What he does is cover people in the defensive slot. And it's not like he's yeah. a big guy who overpowers them. He sticks with them. He blocks the passing lane and takes them out. And he does it consistently. Bruce, uh, I counted four times on the penalty kill where he cleared it down the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, he played his A game. I was worried after COVID that he wouldn't be able to do so. But right. he was out there flying. So that's yeah, a no, great, great sign for the orders because they have a gaping black hole at third and four three and four c right now and if he can take one of those positions and fill that that's really huge for the edmonton Oilers. and mm-hmm. i don't i see no reason why i can't based on last year's play i mean he was a plus player at even strength and uh he was he's a decent hockey player gaytan haas so well, 3C would be a huge bonus, but 4C, I think, yes, he, he's already proved he's capable of that. He, you know, oh, he yeah. played a lot of games last year on a, on a winning team and uh, and held his own. And uh, he's, uh, you know, he's got some stuff that the Oilers need. I mean, the speed is, you know, you always want to add to that team speed. The right-handed stick on the face-off circle played to their advantage a few times tonight, I thought. And uh, uh, his defensive coverage, as you say, like, 
Like he's very good at sort of sticking with the guy, I mean, no matter what kind of moves the, the the guy might be putting on him along the wall or in the in the open spaces. That he's he always seems to be between the guy and either the net or his passing target. You know, he's he's in the lanes and he's he's got a very good understanding of the lanes, which is uh, uh, it stands out compared to some of the players on Oilers' bottom six. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, I so Logason. We've never seen him play his A game in Edmonton yet. I think he played a handful of games last year, played mm-hmm. one game. This is the first time, like, you and I have seen this William Logason play in the AHL. Yep. We, we saw it consistently. We saw him, we saw this William Logason play in Sweden. And there was a lot of controversy when the Oilers decided to protect William Logason over Anton Forsbury. Yep. And and rightly so. I mean, that it, that still might come back to haunt them, that move. Uh, losing Forsbury in the waiver draft, the goalie over the defenseman. But Bruce, um, William Logason can play in the NHL. I have said that uh, for the last four or five months, or last year, uh, watching him in Bakersfield. He can play in the NHL. And I thought tonight that he showed that. He's a, he's a tough, smart defender uh, who can move the puck a bit, who's got decent mobility. And... Um, I thought he had a, a, a strong, like, I, I think he had a good game. You know, you know, for, I would, I don't know what you're going to give him. I'd give him a seven on that game. Seven out of ten was a good game. Uh, I'm just going to check to see how many mistakes he made. One mistake on a great scoring chance against. So he was pretty much, like, in a fairly wide open game. He was, he was playing really uh, safe, almost error-free hockey. His partner struggled a little bit more. And we'll get into that. But I liked William Logason's game. Do you have your... Yeah, yeah Lagesson, I mean, my one criticism would be that that pairing had nothing going on offensively. Like, they only, they always only had one shot on net all the time that he was out there. But that said, it wasn't his job. And especially when you have Chris Russell on his wrong side as a partner, you're not expecting the unit to do a, a great amount of uh, attacking. Um, but uh, they held their own. He won a, quite a few one-on-one battles, eh, Lagesson? He did. He's tough In to front of the net, he did. Front That's of the I net noticed. and along the boards, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he, he, uh, uh, that was the standout to me. I haven't seen him like in a real good way in that capacity, uh, at least not as good as I saw him tonight. So, yeah, he will get a positive grade for sure. Uh, what is your second good thing? Well, I got to tip the hat to old Leon Drysaddle there with, uh, with his six assist night. I think it was, was it three in the first period and three in the second period? I think that's right. And, uh, yep. And then kind of a little bit took the third period off from the scoring part of things, but I thought he was diligent on the two-way game tonight. Uh, his line at even strength was, was uh, I would say, easily Edmonton's best at, at even strength. And on the power play, obviously, he is a big component on that deadly power play. I think he got three three points at each discipline. All assists tonight, so he's now two games without a goal, so he's kind of slumping there, but, uh, you know, <laughs> after six <laughs> of the previous five games, I guess we'll give him a pass, and he was giving the other players a pass, starting with the, with the record setter right off the bat of the game, but you're going to talk about that. Um, but a number of, of uh, fine fees, a couple of cheap assists, you know, where you yeah. pass it to, to McDavid and he makes a sweet pass to someone else and the way the order's power play 
works is you know they move the puck around a lot and sometimes the secondary assist is not is just a matter of getting the puck to the right person as opposed to being the the deadly penetrating pass it's usually the first assist that's more likely to be that but he uh six more points i mean man he's on fire again and we got the top two scorers in the league now with some separation i would think he's plus bruce he's plus 10 plus minus this year that'll uh, maybe shut up the uh the people who were whining about that stat after last season. I but, think it's uh, ahead plus, of the Chushkin. It was minus three the last time I looked. <laughs> no, that's a shocking thing because I hear that Nikushkin is uh, one of the very elite players in the NHL, Bruce. One of the very elite players. So you better get you going. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, his line, his line has actually had a lot more uh, success in chemistry than McDavid's line at even strength. And mm-hmm. McDavid's line, I think, is honestly, they're still searching for the third member uh, of that line. And I, and I, and I, I'm also don't see a huge amount of chemistry between McDavid and Nugent Hopkins, if I'm completely honest. I, I just don't see, look, they're not combining all the time on great plays. They just, they're not. So uh, anyway, because uh, McDavid's even at even strength. So uh, this, the point scoring, Bruce McDavid has 22, Dreisaitl 21, Marner and McKinnon at 14 each. Ooh. James Van Riemsdyk at 13. Wasn't there even some talk about James Van Riemsdyk being bought out? Like I, I remember this, like James Van Riemsdyk. Wow. He, he might be bought expect- out past summer because he, yeah, there was some unhappiness. I think there was some, unha- they didn't like how he played in the playoffs. Anyway, I'm not a, I don't follow the Flyers close enough to, to know about that uh, a whole lot, but man. Yeah, these guys, it's a pretty low-scoring NHL this year, I have to say, um, in terms of points. Well, I wouldn't say. Yeah, maybe not. I think, as they've, I think they've been putting in, putting up a fair few goals. I've seen a few one nothing games. It depends which division. Uh, at some point when they get a few more games in, I'm going to sit down and take a hard look at, at the differences between the divisions because all four of them are completely contained this year. So it's like four different leagues. Yeah, and that's one of the very different aspects about the 2021 season. That's going to be, uh, uh, it's going to be a goldmine for those bent on statistics and and numbers yeah. and so on to try and parse the differences between uh, between the various groups of teams. And to be honest, at this point, uh, I'm all Canadian division all the time. I'm all about these teams, and of course, we know who the seven teams are in the Canadian. Division. I'm not sure, uh, David. You could give me a blindfold and a cigarette. I'm not sure I'd be able to tell you. These are the eight, and these are the eight, and these are the eight in the three American divisions. You know, like, zero eventually percent. it'll sink in because they're all the ones that are playing each other will start. Yeah. But at this point, you know, I know they split them three eight team <laughs> divisions. You know, and they're sort of obvious ones that aren't rivals, and they're obvious ones that are. But to get all eight right in all three divisions, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. I know I couldn't. I I have very. I'm not paying attention at all to those other uh, other uh, other teams. All right. So my good thing, Bruce, is uh, Dominic Cahoon's first goal. He was getting about a one grade A scoring chance shot per game in his first eight games or nine mm-hmm. games, whenever it was, and and playing okay. But it, it was starting to have this Tobias Reader feeling to his effort, where. Not quite that bad, because because he looked closer to scoring to me, and he's clearly a much more highly skilled player than Tobias Reeder. But it was getting a little bit frustrating or iffy, like, you know, he's making these plays. Is he ever going to score? Is he ever going to connect? 
and finally he has and and uh you know that was a a bit of a lucky shot but he he earned some luck because he's had some hard luck saves against Mm -hmm. him so good for Dominic Cahoon he's he is a I think a very good player with the puck he he on that line he offers much of what Nugent Hopkins would offer on that line he's not as fast as Nuge though like he's not as quick on the forecheck as uh but he he's every he's very strong passing the puck and he's pretty good shooting he's okay shooting it as well so that line's going pretty well and Dominic Cahoon's a big part of it so uh good for him yeah, he made a terrific play on, I think, was it the uh, uh, Yamamoto goal? Where he never even got a point, Cahoon. But it was he who shook the puck loose uh, behind the Ottawa net on a, on a really good, strong forecheck. And he just took the puck off the guy. And it, from him, it went on a three-way cycle through uh, uh, through Barry and Drysaddle and uh, to Yamamoto, the goal scorer. So Cahoon never got a, even a point, but he sure deserved the plus one he got because without him, that play never got started. And uh, I think he's very crafty. Like I like his game. Like he's he's kind of a ninja out there, and you know he sort of comes out of nowhere and shows up in really good places. So Sergey Samsonov. Yeah, he's he he's a good little he's a good player. He's a clever hockey player. He's a good player. I compared him before the season to Jordan Eberle, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of style of game. I think mm-hmm. that that comparison is kind of holding up somewhat. Um, you know, Eberle hasn't been a great even strength scorer, but now that Cahoon's starting to finally get some points, it makes a little bit more sense. Um, Bruce, what is your? Oh, by the way, we were talking about McDavid. So he's on track. He's getting two two points. Uh, points a game. Two points a game. So my fondest hope, like I did a, I remember at Christmas time, I did a thing on my fondest hope for each Edmonton Oilers. For McDavid, it was 100 points this year. This year, mm-hmm. and um, Bruce, he is well. He is well on his way. He is well on his way. So we'll see. He and Leon are both well on their way. 22 and 21. Yeah. When you're ta- when your second best scorer has 50 percent more points than any other player in the league. <laughs> you'd like to think you'd be better than five wins, six losses. So there's that. But I mean, uh, the scoring power that Edmonton has at the top of the lineup. I mean, the team scored 38 goals, and their top two guys that play on two different lines have 43 points. So <laughs> they've got literally like more see- than one point between them for every goal that the Oilers have scored. I'd like to see James Neal uh, with McDavid and Nuge for a while. See how that goes. I think that might get that those guys going at even strength. I, I really, I I really like Puglia Yarvi as a player. Some mm-hmm. aspects of his game, but I think he he would do well with Haas on a line with Haas, and uh, maybe maybe Chase on or someone else like that. But uh, you know, more of a grinding type. But that's probably not Chase on because he plays the same wing as Puglia Yarvi. But that's what I'm hoping to see. All right, uh, bad thing. Yeah, oh, uh, not not too unexpected in that. Just the nature of the schedule had had this one kind of set up, but uh, I I wasn't real happy with the Oilers' even strength play, and I wasn't happy with how they managed the puck, and I particularly wasn't happy with the third line's mismanagement of the puck uh, for the three veterans that they have. You know, just a few too many just pucks getting thrown away for no good reason. Uh, Neil had a couple of, of ones that either went through his stick or there was one that wound up being a too many men penalty because he couldn't 
take an easy pass and make a routine shootout to shoot in to enable the line change. And it was just sort of a stone hands kind of play. Uh, uh, Zach Cassian clearing the zone. Uh, I mean, how many times have we heard Cassian can't clear it from Jack Michaels already this season? And then there's the uh, Kyle Terrace, uh, who on the fifth Edmonton power play, the one that didn't score, and finally the second unit got out for the last 25 seconds of the power play. And I'm not kidding, David. I went over this play. I saw it the first time, and I said to my wife, you know, Terrace had the puck three times, and he and he couldn't he, – he coughed it up all three times. And sure enough, he had, he had the puck first time. He got it behind the net of the uh, – Senators, and he fired a pass that nobody could touch that went all the way down into Edmonton's end. And then twice they tried to break back in, and twice they passed it to Tourist, and he couldn't handle the pass, and he just coughed it up in the neutral zone to the Senators who just hammered it back in. And three times in 25 seconds, couldn't make a single play to just take or make a pass. I mean, to sort of fundamental hockey skill. Like, what's with that? Skill is the one thing that he's supposed to have in abundance and make some plays. Bruce, he he should be benched. He should be in the press box next game on merit, and it's not even close. Um, he made four major mistakes on grade-A chances oh. against this game. And the, 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 it's always the same thing. The puck goes through him in the defensive slot, someone who, who makes a good play and sometimes scores. He's mm-hmm. struggling, and, and he's struggling to make a play anywhere on the ice. I just don't... I'm... I haven't watched him closely before. I don't like, you know, I don't right. focus a lot on the other teams. I'm a very Oiler centric viewer. So I, I didn't, when it, when the signing was made, like, what do I know? I don't know. Right. Maybe uh, you hope it works out. But what, what did they see in reviewing the videotape last year that made them think he was a good pickup? Cause if it, if it, it had to be something drastically different. So, um, until, Could have been that different because Nashville bought him out for four years remaining at six million dollars. So they're eating two million dollars a year yeah. for eight years for him not to play there. We like to think, and sometimes you often do see a player coming out of a buyout, getting re-signed at a much cheaper rate. A because he's already getting paid, and B he's suddenly looking for a job. Uh, and he, you know, at the lower rate, he turns out to be a pretty reasonable player for that for that second team, right? Like, I mean, we saw it last year. I think Tampa had a couple guys, but go yeah. in and, you know, and I, I, that that worked out not too bad. You know, at a lower rate of pay, that was more along. And you're thinking like a guy that was deemed to be worth uh, $6 million a year for six years by David Poyle, who's a pretty sharp cookie as a GM there in Nashville. And all of a sudden, um, there he is on the market. And the first day they snapped him up, two-year deal. And the price seems reasonable enough, but uh, we got got to see something tonight. Now, to their credit, that line did score right off a of faceoff. There was a faceoff win by Tourist, yeah, shot by enough. by yeah. Neil, good quick screen by Cassian, and in the net. And the rest of the game, like I think the shots on net when those guys were out there were like four to twelve for Cassian, and. Uh, uh, well, so we got there, uh, Tourist 4 to 11, Neil 4 to 9. You know, like the play was in their own end. They, they were, weren't were defending particularly well, and they weren't managing the puck, which goes back to my original point. Like, get, get 
puck out, get it deep. When you're when you got a two or three or four goal lead and you're just trying to kill the clock, get the darn thing. Do the Ryan Smith thing, man. Get pucks deep. Here's what I wonder about Taurus Bruce. Is he in shape? Like, this is my my last question about him because he just doesn't seem quick enough right now. And so my hope is, um, I don't know if they are going to send him to the press box. You know, he, he's a fairly major signing, but I think it's certainly warranted at this point. Drew Shore has been playing better and Haas is, Haas is a better player. Um, than tourists is. changes the equation for sure. So, so is an option. yeah, having Haas is an option. So, but give him, if it is a conditioning thing and I don't rule that out, give him a, give him a couple weeks and just, you know, buddy, just <laughs> get in shape, get faster. You got to get faster and maybe that'll help. You know, there was one play, it was in the third period, I think. And, uh, let me just, yeah, let me just find it here, Bruce. Um, the Oilers had gotten it out of the of the Senators' zone. Let me just make sure this is in the third period because, yeah. Uh, sorry. Second period, I guess. They'd gotten it out anyway. Turris was just kind of wandering, and he was he was beside his guy as the Senators broke in over the zone on the counterattack. And he just let the guy beat him. He just let the guy get ahead of him to the net. Like, that's just not acceptable. And I don't imagine Dave Tippett is going to find that acceptable. No. So, anyway, we, we've been beating up on this player enough. I hope I, yeah. I hope he can hope he can yeah, find I hope, a hope turn there's it some around. reason for it. There's something that he yeah. can do to turn it around because so far it's just not been uh, very impressive at all. And whether he's dragging the line down or whatever, I mean. That uh, that line, you'd like to think a third line with three well-paid NHL veterans with hundreds of games under their belt each uh, would be able to, to uh, at least hold their own in their part of the game, if not dominate it to some extent. But we're uh, not seeing much domination from that crew. And it's going to cost the winners when they play good teams all year long if, if they can't figure this out. And, and maybe that means... Point. It, it has cost them all year, and it will continue to do so. I mean, Tippett's already taken Turris off the PK, right? So, um, essentially, did so. He, did he even play tonight on it? Um, uh, I thought he was out for one of the Ottawa Nuge, power play goals. But Nuge and uh, Yeah, he was on Yamamoto. for the first. Uh, well, that was even strength, my bad. That was an even strength goal, yeah. No, I don't think he was, Bruce. Okay. Um, so, my bad thing, Bruce. Adam Larson, uh, I've been defending him all year, and I continue to defend him. I think he's a good hockey player, a uh, solid defensive defenseman. He had a couple groaners, though, tonight, which which will add plenty of fuel to the fire of his the, the many detractors at this point, or at least there's a number of loud ones. I don't know how many there are. Um, he, The first one, he Caleb Jones uh, bites at center ice and loses a battle. So there's kind of a, a two on one with McDavid tracking back. Then, uh, Larson goes for the block shot. Uh, I think it was Drake Batherson shooting that one. And from the high slot, Batherson wires it in. Is that, was that the goal? That was the Brady uh, Kachuk goal. And oh, was that Kachuk? Yeah, it was the Brady Kachuk goal. Yeah. And, and Larson kind of did the, the reverse starfish where he went down, but he actually slid back and away from the shooter. And he actually gave him some room to let fly over him. Well, he was trying to stop the pass. He thought a pass was coming, Bruce. He he, yeah. he thought he was blocking the pass. 
because he didn't see McDavid tracking back as fast. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he slid where he did, I believe. But, you know, and, and maybe Skinner. Maybe that was a heck of a shot, but I mean, nobody, I nobody defended it. They just backed yeah. away from the guy, really. Yeah. So. No, I marked it as an A chance, so I guess I thought it should have. No, it, it, was was it was a wicked shot from between yeah. the circles, but it was. And then uh, the, Caleb Jones made a real bad read outside the blue line, I think it was. It got yeah. beat. Yeah. And then it was clustered from there. Then the, la- the second mistake was late in the game when uh, the young German attacker for Ottawa, is it Stutzley? Stutzley, Comes yeah. down the wing, comes down the wing and just burns around Larson. Just absolutely walks Larson. And from, from a fairly sharp angle beats Skinner as well. So it wasn't a great moment for uh, Skinner, um, who, who had some good saves, but um, as Louis DeBrusque said at the end of the game, probably some that he would want back. Uh, I would concur with that. But Larson uh, looked... Uh, you know, the people who say he's too slow for the modern NHL, that might be exhibit A on, on their, uh, on their highlight reel of uh, moments when he has looked kind of slow. If you force a guy wide enough that he has to shoot from below the dots, though, your goalie has yeah. to be big and square to the shot. Like, uh, Skinner was right back hugging his post when there was really nothing else for Stutzler to do but shoot the, the biscuit. Yeah. And Read the play. Block, and, cut down the angle, yeah. And there was, you know, I mean, it was a great shot, but I mean, the top corner was there, and from that angle, really, he should have had nothing. So, I mean, if the guy beats the defenseman wide and then is able to cut right in and make, you know, a deke or, a, you know, a play from in front of the net, uh, or if he beats a defenseman wide and he's, he's far enough out that he can get a shot from a good angle, then it's more on the defenseman. Larson did look a bit clumsy there, and Stutzla looked pretty fast, and, and he exposed him pretty good. But uh, uh, in the end, that's one that the goalie's got to stop, in my view. I agree, Bruce. It's also one that Larson might want to. Oh, yeah, he might want to have that one back, as I always say about the goalies. <laughs> I'm very tired of that expression. And they, they, <laughs> all the color commentators use it all the time, and they have it's, for like the last ten years. I it's mean, a way to let the goalie there. off nicely. Instead of saying, "How about he should have made the save?" <laughs> he should have made the save. They don't want to be. They don't. They want to be nice. He'd yeah, like that one nice. back. Yeah, all goalies would like all of them back. This just in. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. All right. So all right. anyway, what's your number? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, 19 and 6. Uh, again, this is our man Leon Dreisaitl in the face-off circle, just bossing the face-off circle to the rate of 76%. And uh, in all situations, like they are using him as a PK face-off specialist. And it's beginning to look like the Oilers actually have, finally, after all these years of Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Andrew Cogliano and Sam Gagne and their 38% face-off woes, <laughs> that they finally have a guy that not only can hold his own in the circle, but can better than hold his own. And on most nights, like that, you know, it's, it's none of them is like over 50% every night, I don't suppose. But uh, Leon's now rocking uh, 57% on the season. And he's in the top 10 of NHL face-off men uh, of anybody who's, you know, taken a decent number of draws. Like, there's a few guys that are one-for-one one and stuff that mean, is meaningless. But of the of the regular centers, uh, he's uh, eighth or ninth in the league. I looked it up earlier. And, and uh, uh, 
you know, he was all 123 wins, 90 losses. So that's a pretty significant separation between 50%. And obviously he added to that tonight, but he was well ahead of the curve even before tonight's game. And that's a, that's a good development. Almost all the guys on the list and the leaders list are older than him. And that is very much an older player's art, winning in the face-off circle. It comes with old man's strength, but it also comes with, with smarts and with, uh, you know, gamesmanship and, and there's how to cheat in the face-off circle. Like some of those things just accrue over time to players. And the young guys usually get killed in there. Well, Leon's now uh, 25 years old, isn't he? And uh, he's not a young man anymore. And man, he's big. And that one play where he squashed Suitsla in the corner and just took the puck away from him. I mean, this was this was uh, um, not old man strength, but you know, prime of life man strength. That uh, he's going to win more and more battles, including those ones in the faceoff circle. And 19 to six, they were mentioning it frequently on the broadcast tonight, and they were right because it was a, you know, the orders were starting with the puck on on Leon's watch a lot. So, Bruce, my number, I have a number of numbers. It's about the Oilers' power play. So, last Monday, I wrote a post on the Oilers' power play. And I mentioned, you know, they're getting, I know everyone's freaking out about this power play and Tyson Berry's not fitting in. But I said, just, they're getting as many chances as they got last year on a per minute basis. The the power play, even early in the year when they weren't scoring, they were getting as many grade eight shots per minute as they were last year when they were the best power play in Oilers in, you know, one of the best power plays in NHL history and uh, one of the best power plays in Oilers history. First in the NHL last year, 29.5% success rate on the power play last year. So they weren't, they were, they were, they were 25th in the NHL on last Monday overall on the power play. They were, they were clipping it on 11.5% success rate, Bruce. They only had three goals. So, but I said, listen, just, they're getting the chances. Everybody be patient. Yep. This is one prediction. I am very glad, very, very, very glad came true. But I did not predict this would happen. Here's what's happened since then, Bruce. In 21 power play minutes since then, they've scored nine goals. In 21 power, they've had, they have had 18 grade A shots since then on the power play, and they've scored on nine of them. Oh. I'm going to rise the old shooting percentage. Yeah. So now, Bruce, they're at 28.6% uh, mm-hmm. success rate on the power play. And uh, they're tenth. They're still just 10th in the NHL because it's early in the year and some teams have had Lots tremendous teams success. Lots really the power pumping play. them in, eh? Yeah. So so anyway, it, they they did get it together. And, and it wasn't just – it wasn't completely with patience with Tyson Berry. I mean, they moved away from him for a game, I think, maybe get, maybe mm-hmm. get everybody settled. Get everybody yep. and tonight they uh i mean ottawa their penalty killing well of course it looked bad but it just they didn't pressure the orders enough they weren't on them and uh you give these guys time on the power play and they will score uh nine goals in a week in 21 minutes of power play time <laughs> well last last um uh tuesday night was it they had um two power plays in Winnipeg and it took them 58 seconds to score two goals. I remember we talked about that yeah. that night on the podcast yeah. tonight. It was six minutes and four seconds for four goals. And of course that included the fail, failed two minute power play 
that was the last one. So four minutes for four goals tonight, and then then a bonus power play that they they didn't convert. Um, but it's it is a devastating unit. There's just so many weapons. I mean, one of which which we saw a couple times tonight that didn't work, but it could have McDavid flying in on the attack on the uh, on the rush, and usually power plays score off of possession plays as opposed to on the rush. But McDavid, as we've already seen twice this year, is quite capable of going in and doing it on his own. And, and he's, he's uh, got to do that now and then. Same mm-hmm. with Drysaddle. Like every now and then, they've got to just go for it to keep yeah, the well, defense honest, right? Well, Drysaddle has that one where uh, he, like he's, he, he dawdles through the neutral zone as if he's just <laughs> setting up that back pass to McDavid. And people look at McDavid winding up below, and then all of a sudden, Leon puts on the Jets and and goes in, and he got a breakaway one game, and another game he got a. a chance and a goal from you know a bad angle but uh, you know he broke in because of he was his change of speed fooled the defense it's an old trick that he's used in overtime in the past where he'll just suddenly go from from sort of first gear to fifth in in, in not very much time and he uh uh there was one other game he tried it and it didn't work and uh uh you said it, he was impatient and he should have waited but i'm so I think I know what he was trying to do there. It just didn't work, right? Where he tried to surprise the defense and burst through. But it's a nice option when you got two superstars that are either one capable of suddenly, uh, you know, making a solo attack or making brilliant passes and setting up combination plays. I mean, they really have a, just a myriad of ways that they can uh, they can put the hurt on the other team's penalty uh, kill. So it's wonderful to watch. And now we'll see how it goes, like with Barry and Neil and Chase on making some really significant contributions tonight. Like now all the pieces are starting to fit together a little bit um, more like we remember them fitting together. So that's very good news, Bruce. Plus they got a goal on a delay penalty tonight too, which we can't really count as a power play, but power play didn't even need to get out there that time because they already scored. Eight goals. Kind of sweet. Kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, Bruce. Uh, so Tuesday night against the Ottawa Senators, I guess we'll see Koskin yep. back in net. Yeah, no doubt Koski will be back for that one. And then the team as a whole got, actually gets three days off after this pretty brutal pace to start the season 12 and 21 days. Hey, my, before the game, Bruce, would you have gone with Koskin or Skinner? I would have I, I would have reluctantly gone with with Skinner uh, over Koskin. And I thought that the odds of, of maybe Koskin and getting hurt from overuse. Right. Well, uh, that was my main concern, more than any other concern, because you just he can't get hurt, um, and uh, so that's what I that's that's what I was thinking. Well, after the game on Thursday on the podcast, uh, um, I was thinking Skinner would start tonight, and then last night after the podcast, I thought it would be Grossnick, just because the Oilers had gone to the trouble of activating Grossnick to be the backup last night, and I thought, well, there goes Skinner's chance. And I'm not quite sure what the thinking was there, because what it wound up doing was forcing them to move out another player to activate, you know, Skinner. Like, there's three goalies on the active roster for tonight's game. So uh, they just moved Dennis to the taxi squad, and they have enough guys out that can move that from a, on a game-to-game basis, there, there, there's quite a bit of flexibility built in at the moment. Yeah. I do, But I just don't understand why, what the point was of, of that sequence, and eventually they did go with 
with Skinner, and uh, uh, he looked like a looked like a raw twenty-two year old goalie. You know, some yeah. real good skills. Like he made some some nice saves in tight. And there were other times, you know, where his angles weren't perfect or he lost his net on the first goal. Um, his puck handling was not real sharp. You know, just some of those edges that need to be filed off. And I don't think, personally, I don't think we'll see him in the NHL again this season. No, and, and let, let's, to be fair to him, we, we shouldn't. He, no, he struggled right. at the AHL level. He needs more time in development. Like some people are saying, oh, Skinner's in, he kind of earned, he earned it. Like, no. This was a colossal screw up by Ken Holland that that that, that had us with his turn of events. Bruce is the truth, and it was he put the you know this was a big mistake, and I suspect they're going to have three goalies on their active roster for the rest of the year because you can't risk losing Grosnick. I don't think because I think Grosnick is a proven AHL goalie. Like he's had two years in a row where he's had a really good save percentage there. He's proven there. You can't risk losing him unless you get a better player back. So I, I suspect the Oilers are going to have three goalies Maybe. for the rest of the way on the roster. If, if Colin can't, he cannot make the same mistake again, Bruce, because they got away with one tonight, frankly. And, um, you know, there was a chance that that was going to happen, mm-hmm. that Skinner was going to come in. He's a, he's an inconsistent goalie. Sometimes he's hot, sometimes he's cold. Mostly last year at the HL level, he was pretty cold. But he did have those games, and he had a, he had an adequate game tonight. And but they got they got lucky, and I, I think we'll. Well, they they picked their spots and they picked them well. It turned out that the Oilers could score enough goals to uh, to get away with it, and uh, they gave him a ton of goal support right from the opening eight seconds when. Uh, Cahoon tied Wayne Gretzky, all-time franchise record, fastest goal from the start of the game. The great one did it in Madison Square Garden in the, sometime in the 80s, early 80s. And uh, uh, I still remember watching it. I think it was just it's kind of a backhand tip in from in tight. And it just sort of things went right right off the draw. Tonight's was strange because there was actual whistle in between during the eight seconds. <laughs> That's hard to do. But uh, it was... Uh, a nice little feather in his hat, and uh, just to riff a little further, it was fun to see the three Germans posing for pictures together: Drysaddle, Cahoon, and Stutzla. Yeah, uh, that's uh, for a German hockey fan. You know, that's just got to be wow. We've never been here before. Yeah, I wonder. So, if they have, let's say they do have three goalies on their roster, mm-hmm. I, I, I can see the thinking they don't want to lose. Well, do they? Bruce, you could have 12 forwards. I mean, I, I I'm not exactly sure of how, how all the work, but if you want to keep, let's say, Lagasin and Russell and and a goalie on your active roster, I mean, I don't, would you lose Chris Russell if you waived him? No, this is a good point. So. You, I think you yet. could 100% get away with, get, you know, you could waive Chris Russell with impunity. No one's going to yeah, jump on that contract. That's right. So he would be the one, and, and when he's not playing, goes directly to the taxi squad, like we've been seeing with several of the forwards. I mean, they really, I think, got that figured out with the forwards. I mean, this week, I wrote about this yesterday morning, all the all the moves they made, five moves on the forward line in three games, and every one of them went direct from team to taxi squad and back. And for Alex Chason, poor guy, was on the roster, but he was locked in that number 13 spot, and he couldn't get So tonight he got in. 
But the other six changes that they've made of the forwards in the last four games, because they changed two or one every game, uh, six changes that were taxi squad to team with the other guy going the other way. So, you know, Devin Shore or, or uh, Tyler Ennis, once uh, their turn not to play, they've been waived already. Straight to the taxi squad you go. So, yeah, you may be right that uh, there's a way for Holland to... Uh, to work to work around that be and a keep challenge. a third goalie because waving the goalie seems to be the hardest thing to do in the NHL this year. Yeah, it'll be a challenge. I mean, like Chase on, let's say he they decide to take him out of the lineup. Could you wave Alex Chase on and have him go through? I think so. I probably because he's he's a earning two point one million dollars. Yeah, five million dollars. Like there's not many strip. teams that have the cap space, and there's not many teams that would say, "Oh, that's the guy that's going to put us over the top." Like he's a, he's can, a good, useful player, but uh, I, I I think they would, and he's the one they didn't take a risk on waving. But yeah, they could wave him. They could wave James Neal. They could wave Calderas. Any, any reason to uh, yeah? If there was any reason that they think he's not going to play every game, um, at this point Neal, since he got back in, he's played every game. So there's there's no reason to wave him. But they they could. He, nobody would touch that contract with a twenty foot pole. I think the tougher ones are, are the cheaper contracts like Slater yep. Cuckoo and uh, Logason. I think yep. realistically some team might take them. I think they would be wise Forsberg. to take <laughs> Yeah, I think they would be wise to take either of those players. But the, the expensive Nagar, players... Nagar, I, he got through. He got through, yeah. And I thought he might go. Now, um, that, that didn't happen. But um, anyway, we'll see what happens. I, I think I just... They can't get in this situation again where where you have to play uh, a raw rookie goalie like that. So, And I don't think they will. I think Grosnick will be ready. I think that the reason he didn't play is because he hasn't been on skates very much in the last two weeks. So I, I'm, I suspect. So I think he'll be ready the next time they have a back-to-back. When is that? It's like another two weeks. Oh, uh, yeah. When they're in Ottawa on uh, uh, the 8th and 9th, I think it is, Monday, Tuesday of... Uh, uh, like nine days from now, like they have, they play uh, uh, Ottawa again this Tuesday. Then they have three days off. Then they play Calgary Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. And then they go east and they play Ottawa back to back Monday, Tuesday. And I suspect okay. that if Smith is not ready, which by then he's eligible to come off LTIR if he's healthy, but from the sounds of things, he's a ways off. And I honestly would expect them to give Koskinen one of the games in Ottawa. And I'm guessing Grosnick and not Skinner to get the other game in the second series in Ottawa, because by then the uh, the veteran will be more, you know, part of the team. Like once he's traveling with the team and stuff, like the team literally met him on Thursday morning or something, like just the other day, right? So yes, yes. What what's with Mike Smith? Do we know? All I heard was a knee. He, he did something oh, to great. his knee, and he did it. I think possibly warming up to be the backup for the season opener because uh, they played Vancouver, remember, right away, back-to-back. And the first night he didn't play, and then the second day he didn't even participate in practice, or, of course, obviously the game. And he went straight to IR. So something happened uh, apparently during that warm-up. And and the whisper I heard was a knee, but there's other whispers, so who knows for sure. Have we heard anything more about Bear? Yes, they showed during the game tonight, and he got hit in the head by a puck, and oh. he was sitting on the bench. Uh, oh, last geez. night's game, they had a replay of it, and McDavid was 
playing the puck out in center ice, and the one one of the opponents tipped it, and it was one of these low line drive screamers. It goes straight into the bench, and all the players ducked, and Bear was kind of at the end of the bench, and it gonged him right in the side of the bean. On the so, helmet? Yeah, hit him on the helmet. So they gave him tonight off as a precaution. They wanted to get like probably wanted to see Lagesson again, and thinking you know, potential concussion thing. Don't mess around. Give him a night off. You know, and we got other we got other D, and uh, let's reevaluate. You know, send him a specialist on Monday morning kind of thing. But I'm hoping that it's just precautionary, and now uh, it would be the wise thing to do. And they did it, so that's good. And hopefully, that's all it is, and he's ready to go again soon. That's, uh, yeah, I remember the first when guy on this team. Remember, remember when Tom Rennie got hit on the bench, and um, he suffered headaches and problems for a long, long time after that. Now, the fact that Bear was wearing a helmet, if it hit him on the helmet, that would hopefully make a big, make some kind of a difference. But uh, they, they missed a, Ethan Bear's defense tonight, Bruce. Like Tyson Berry had a good game on the attack, but Tyson Berry and Nurse had some pretty iffy moments um, behind their own uh, blue line. And Ethan Bear is just a very steady, solid defensive player. So, uh, yeah, they miss him. Tyler Buns, that's the other one, David. Uh, he was playing for the Western Hockey League selects against the Russians in one of these super series. You know, when the when the Russians come and they play two games in each of Quebec, Ontario, and the Western Hockey League. Yeah. And Buns was selected to be one of the two goalies, and he was the backup on the first night, and he was the starter in the second night. Well, the first night he was on the bench without a mask on. He's the one guy on the bench that's not wearing anything on his head, and he oh, got geez. drilled by a puck. And he wound up missing the, the game he was supposed to start, and he wound up being out for a while. And I don't suppose that that concussion, which was diagnosed as, I'm pretty sure, helped him in his career. And they actually made a rule after that that the backup goalie had to wear his mask on the bench just to avoid such a scenario and happening in the future. So just t- terrible, terrible luck for Tyler Buns and, and terrible luck for Ethan Bear the other night. And, you know, they, they had some good footage of him on the bench sort of rubbing his head and shaking his head and kind of half pissed off and half kind of dazed, I think, because he got, you know, it was a hard, hard shot that that uh, gonged him pretty good. Who was Tyler Buns playing against? Did you say that, Bruce? The Russian selects in the uh, in the uh, Super Series, the, the six-game tour that the Russians do against the uh. juniors, or they used to do every year. And, and Buns had worked his way up to the WHL depth chart that he was considered one of the two best and he, so he was going to start one of those games and that happened yeah i see it in his uh hockey stats career hockey stats he had a good year in medicine hat that year yeah he did. i think it's 2011 12 so he, he after that game he still played well it looks like but as a pro player he certainly never he never got anything done as a pro hockey player well, he played uh, a period in the he, NHL, which is more than any other drafted Oilers goalie has done in the last 15 <laughs> years. So there's that. There is that. Don't get me started. I won't. Oh, I got some kind of extra sound there. I hit an ad thing trying to do, uh, shut it down. Okay, Bruce, let's leave it there. Sure. Thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. I'm looking forward to writing about a win tonight. Dog time. Is that your first? First of the year. One and one four now. Pizza and in the meat. Owen anything. Certainly does. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between time, 
This has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.